0: hey welcome to the show mission two men one podcast every black film ever made my name is len aka the bat Tribble, and as always i am joined on this lovely stream yard by my partner right there
1: hey this is vincent williams
0: tonight ladies and gentlemen we are taking a look inside Inside the Inside Man from 2006. And helping us to take this look is our very special guest, Mark Bernardin. In the building. What's up, Mark? Hey, everybody. How
2: y'all
1: doing? How you guys doing?
0: Damon Williams says Inside Man, great movie, or as I call it, How to (laughs) Rob a (laughs) Bank.
1: How to (laughs) Rob a Bank. Yeah, yeah. We shall see.
0: But before we get into uh, Insight Man, and before we really dig deep into the world of our very special guest, Mark Bernardin, I have a question for both you gentlemen, and I'll start with you, Mark, if you don't, don't mind, Vincent. Mark. Yes, sir. I feel like I'm on Hollywood Squares. Um, <laughs> what is the secret to good mac and cheese?
2: Um, well, listen, you need the Mac, right? Right. And you need the cheese. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. the thing that lots of people, I'm not going to say lots of people, I'm going to say when people make bad macaroni and cheese, the thing they leave out is either like hot sauce or Mm. cayenne pepper. You need a little bit of heat in there. You need a little bit of heat to punch through the butter and the cheese and the cream and the milk. You just need, need a little fire in there. Without it, you just have this this monotonal eating condition that I don't think you're that happy about.
1: Well, that's not where I expected this to go at all. Because... About to say that is intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> you like your hot, you like your macaroni and cheese hot like hot Cheetos.
2: I'm not even saying that hot. You don't need it. Doesn't need to be like some five alarm fire up in your grill. You just need just a little bit of little something, something.
0: Huh. I mean, where do you stand on on heat in your mac and cheese, Vincent?
1: this is the first I've ever heard about heat and mac and cheese. So my default is I'm against it, but I also don't know anything about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, I thought he was going to go see, this is where I thought you were going to go. It's like the, the, the secret to good mac and cheese is that there has to be just, you know, the hint of a crust there, you know, from it, cooking you know right 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 in the oven you know what i mean like to me that's the difference otherwise yes it is just a congealed mess or god forbid you're eating box mac and cheese but
2: the oh well why would you do that
0: (laughs) well (laughs) because you saw it on friends um (laughs) (laughs) but um like to me the secret is like like just like a nice little Crust there. And the reason why I bring this up is because I've been eating mac and cheese as every responsible black man has since I was born, right? Mm. Yes. I mean, Earthright. I. Birthright. And I can say uncategorically, and I can't believe that I'm saying this, is that this past weekend, I had the best mac and cheese in my life. This oh. mac and cheese was so banging. I have no idea how it was made. A friend of mine, uh, made it. We had like a little dinner party over here, and all of the food was great. All of, like we had smothered mm-hmm. chicken, we had chicken and waffles. Everything was banging, but this mac and cheese was like a gift from the gods. I've been living on this mac and cheese for now for two days. I I, I love it. It's so so good. It's so delicious.
1: You no can't beat you a did. good mac and cheese. You can't now, eat- you can't eat mac and cheese all the time, <laughs> but you can not beat a good one. Who says you can't eat mac and cheese all the time? Your arteries.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think my 22-year-old self would beg to differ because I'm pretty sure I spent <laughs> a good year and a half eating yeah. nothing but mac and cheese.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. I think the, the, the key detail in that sentence was 22. Yeah, mild old ass can't do that now, but when I was young <laughs> right. and invincible. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> hey,
0: listen, my arteries don't have a mouth. I don't know what how you're living, Vincent, so. Right,
2: right. You know what else you could try, Len? Uh, a little trick. Take some uh, potato chips, regular, like, fucking Lay's potato chips, crunch them up, and then sprinkle them on top before you put it in the oven. All right, Mark, I- I'll let you slide with this hot. You're you talking crazy now. <laughs> listen, man, I'm just saying, you know what else helps? Salt.
1: <laughs> right. like is this your recipe or is this something that an old black
2: woman has put her like like is this old black woman approved yeah i, get, I got waved into the back of the, the the bingo parlor and i had a bunch right, of old right. black women, and just like hey right listen, come here young blood let me tell you something right <laughs> that's exactly right What's wrong? Your mama didn't give you no lays? Come put you some lays on Right,
1: over. right. Let me cr- crush these potato chips on top. Yeah, you have mm.
2: been laid, son. You have been laid right. Let me show you how. <laughs> oh, I just came for the mac and cheese. Man. Say,
1: that's a different story. <laughs> Ooh. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. Well, that's a different movie. We're not reviewing that movie tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no. but- uh, the world of hip hop ladies and gentlemen uh suffered yet another loss in the year 2021 when 57 year old biz marquee uh, passed away uh this week after a long um bout uh in the hospital battling with uh diabetes
1: if i yeah i was about to say he's been suffering from diabetes for years
0: yeah um Bismarcky, whose real name was Marcel Theo Hall, was a a rapper best known for his 1989 single "Just a Friend," which became mm-hmm. a top forty hit all over the world, ladies and gentlemen. He was sometimes referred to as the Clown Prince of Hip Hop, and in more recent years, he was uh, a noted superstar guest DJ all over the mm-hmm. world. Yeah, definitely shed a tear for Biz Markie, didn't you, Vince?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, Biz, Biz was hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Biz was hip-hop for in, in so many different ways. He's probably best known in my house as being the, the the person who did Biz's beat of the day on Yo Gabba Gabba.
0: Yes, that's right. That's right.
1: So it's it's like at least a generation of kids. Mm-hmm that know biz um my my son is into the reruns and and a couple of things he watched the um one of the live a rerun of one of the live shows Mm -hmm. and a biz start doing just a friend oh really at the live show but we were saying like if your parents brought you to go see yo gabba gabba you know all the words to just a friend and adam actually said oh that's the song from the car because if Just a Friend comes on, that's now a family affair. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone knows Just a Friend. And I love that about Biz, that Biz was such an ambassador for hip-hop mm-hmm. across generations. But you know the other thing that, that I've really admired about Biz over the past week? I think Biz really embodied, appropriately enough, because we were just talking about blurs and being a Black nerd... Like everyone talked about how Biz had like a lunchbox collection and and he was kind of geeky. Mm-hmm. But there really was this moment in early hip hop where there was a lot of overlap between black geek culture, hip hop, you know, kung fu movies, yeah. all of this stuff that we talk about. And Biz, you know, Biz Markie embodied that.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It, um, I think probably more so than anybody when he came out, he he personified that, you know, um, because even that marriage that you're talking about of hip hop and geeky and kung fu and making making it cool to me, Came about around the time of Wu Tang, right? Mm-hmm. But Biz precedes them, and, while, right. and and I don't know if Biz made it necessarily cool, but he made it acceptable because uh, right it, 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 because he was unapologetic in his geekdom, right? Like i I I interviewed. DMC of Run DMC and he talked about how geeky he was as as a kid and even at the time of Run DMC but just because of the nature of hip-hop you know he felt that he still had to put on the costume of DMC in order to get out there on stage and be become this other persona where right right is there was no other persona. Biz was Biz. And what also made him so cool is that he was so like comfortable in his own skin is that Biz is the one who brought the ultimate Mac Daddy of hip hop, Big Daddy Kane, into right. the world. And it still felt right you know what right, I mean? Right, right, absolutely it felt right that, like, you're like yeah, Biz is bringing out Big D- Big Daddy Kane, yeah those two bulls are on the track it still makes sense it just made sense, and that's just because of how cool and comfortable Biz was
1: yeah, it's a real loss it's a real loss yeah.
0: we are going to be reviewing Inside Man, before we do, we're going to give you a moment to meet our very special guest Mark, yes, yes, yes. Um, who let me just give you his bona fides, bona fides, as it were. Um, Mark is a long established uh, TV comic book writer, longtime podcaster. You've probably heard him on a little podcast called The Fat Man Beyond um, with noted filmmaker and geek Kevin Smith. He's also served as a staff writer on on the sci-fi series Alpha. He was uh, on, wrote for Castle Rock. He served as a brief time as a producer on Star Trek Picard. And this
1: Friday.
0: and Right, and, and burying the lead here, this Friday, his latest uh, uh, piece of Geek Ephemera will be dropping your way on Netflix as Mark is also the writer on the Masters of the Universe colon Revelation, the Masters of the Universe reboot that is going to be hitting on Netflix this Friday. Mark.
2: Yes, sir. You are my
0: God. I mean... (laughs) Because you've worked on Star Trek and you've worked on Masters of the Universe. Get the hell out of here. Let me ask you, let me ask you real quick. I ask this to every geek that I know. Do you remember when you realized you were a geek and was it something that you fell into or there's something that you were introduced to?
2: I feel like geekdom requires uh, the geek awakening requires (laughs) requires <laughs> the the insertion in a non-geek sphere. right? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you could be a geek and that's fine. If you're like, hey man, I'm like seven years old and we're all just dumb as crap and we're just freaking like loving our Snoopies and reading our comic books. But then you turn deep and you start reading like Isaac Asimov and playing Dungeons and Dragons and all that stuff you need to then go into the normal world and find people who will then look at you funny because you do the things you do. You know, it's like, Oh wait, you're doing what now? We're all going to go play basketball. And you want to go read these choose your own adventure books. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. I have to choose my adventure and my adventure right now is not playing basketball with y'all. Um, and so I feel like I discovered that in like middle school, like elementary school, you're all still young Mm -hmm. and dumb. and Nobody knows any better. But Like middle school is when like clicks begin to form when like, there's your jocks and there's your nerds and there's your library kids and there's your theater kids and the goth kids and whatever. Like all the, the Ferris Bueller taxonomy of, high, of middle school and high school takes place. right? And that's probably when I discovered that even though I was on the football team and still in like the, the architecture classes and still helping build sets for theater crew, that the other stuff that I was doing, like going to the comic book store every Wednesday and you know picking up the latest Save the Genesis game, and playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends was a thing that not lots of other people did. And that, that was just for, yeah, for like me and my little crew. Um, but I was loved your, it. Who was your well, crew? you know, like, it was, it was a, this other weird crew, a dude named, like, Adam Freeman, who is still a very good friend of mine, um, who I co-write some comic books with. Um, a John Schotter, Chris Riley. Um, th- those were, like, my nerd boys, you mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. then there were, like... Boys who I played sports with, and then like the other boys who I was in this thing with. Like it was, it was just like let's gather and collect all of these people to make the life that you want to live.
0: I was kind of like you. I don't think I was as as well rounded a geek. Like I wasn't on the football team and all that type of stuff as, as you, but I was definitely like that. And what I have found that as I have gotten older is that the the people that seem to travel with me through my life have been the people that were closer to my geek or my artistic side because, I, because over time that be, at least seemed to us manifested itself as the true me. Did you find that to be the, the case that like your, your jock friends kind of like slowly over the years fall off or did, are, are, are all pieces of them still with you?
2: No, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. You know, it's, it's who you are at your core. You know, and mm-hmm. if you're this person who likes this stuff, then you're this person who likes this stuff. You can put on other hats. You can you know, we we especially black geeks have uh, you know, we, we all have the mutant power of code switching. So we can we all can right. be in the place and the space we need to be to get by. You know, but I think the who we are is the people who will gravitate towards that. And like, yeah, the people who were, you know, my you know, Wednesday Wednesday soldiers, let's at the comic book shop and raid some shelves, you know, mm-hmm. are still people I talk to. Um, as opposed to the other way around. It also helps that, like, I managed to make a career out of being a geek and uh, I right, have sustained right. and, and, and sort of nurtured that part of me, um, as opposed to other people who might have let it go. You know, like, it's mm-hmm. I'm no longer a child, so I'm going to put away my childish things. I'm like, hey, childish right. things over here, I'll take them all. Right, 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 right.
0: How did you luck up into being able to make that, that turn? Because there's plenty of geeks that try to make that turn into making it the, you know, their way of living
2: right it you know uh i i wish i could i wish i could offer some functional usable path to follow Mm -hmm. but i remember Mm -hmm. like once upon a time mark wade a comic book writer uh would tell this story which i'm sure he heard from somebody else but you know breaking into comics is like breaking out of prison which is no two people do it the same way and they always seal up the hole as soon as you're through And Mm. so, like, my path into being a professional nerd only worked for me, which was I wanted to be a filmmaker. I got an internship at a magazine um, to finish my credits in college. That magazine happened to be about science fiction and fantasy. And I worked there for a bunch of years in New York. And then a friend of mine who I met on AOL chat rooms, because remember, where that was a thing, was like, hey, Entertainment Weekly is looking for people. You're smart. You know, you should apply. And I applied and I got a job. And I got a job just as like things were beginning to bubble. Like this was this would have been like mid nineties, like 94, 95, 96. Mm, okay. And a couple years away from like Spider Man blowing up, like X Men, you know, Matrix. Like the the world was beginning to shift in the sort of way that you needed a geek if you were going to be conversant in pop culture. And I was the geek at Entertainment Week. I was the one who read the comics and who knew the references and loved anime and dug Hong Kong movies. And like, I was that dude who just happened to be in the right place at the right time, you know? Right. And I was there for like 13 years as their sort of geek nerd and loved it and was there for the sort of rise of Comic Con and was there to introduce comic book coverage in the magazine and was able to, to meet all of these people in all these spheres. You know, I wish I could say that it was some like well diagrammed plan you know, some, some page out of a playbook that I stole from the gods and was able to run, but it was just luck and sort of fortitude and, and ultimately never denying who I was, which was this person who did this stuff, you know, and the world happened to shift to make it uh, attractive to be this person in a way that it had never been before in the history of the world, you know, and, and so it's, it's, it's hard I understand to 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 listen to that and be like, well, I can't do that. It's like, no, you have to find your own way in. But like, there's a way Right. In.
1: and and it is worth noting, as you said, at that moment it was still outsider culture, like it Very was before so. Marvel. It was before you, you know, sort of the mainstreaming of anime and everything. So you really did have this specialized knowledge.
2: Yeah, you know, which is a testament to a certain degree to my parents for never making me mm-hmm. stop loving this stuff. That's you know. right. Because, you know, you, we, we all know what, you know, black and brown parents can be like when they see their kid, you know, in their room, just reading comic books or novels or, you know, whatever, coloring books. You know, it's, it's alien to them. They just didn't understand it. But luckily, my parents were never like, put that down. That's stupid. It was, all right, you're not hurting anybody. I and mean, at least you're in the house. <laughs> you know, you're not running right. these streets. This, this it- is fine.
0: Did they identify in in any way with some of the things that you were were liking or was that still just totally foreign
1: to them?
2: You know, like my my dad was a bit of a science fiction fan, Mm -hmm. but not in an active way. It was like, I'll go see the Star Wars movie. That was kind of fun. The boy likes it. Mm -hmm. I liked it. Let's go see more of this. My mother still has no idea what happens in Star Wars. She's like, (laughs) "I, I don't know what that's all about. Like, you like it. You and your father like it. I don't care. I'll be with my stories. Like, but, Mom, these are my stories. Right, right. <laughs> but with laser swords. Laser swords and walking carpets and cool, like hot rods and space. Like, give me all of this. Right, right.
0: Yeah, it's the same thing. People coming back from the dead. I mean, it's the same thing that's happening in yeah.
2: your Mom. It's all same. good. Mom, I've seen General Hospital. That is dumber than this is. So, leave me alone.
0: <laughs> Very true. How did you <laughs> find your way? Into um, into Star Trek Picard, and then make the leap even uh, even further into the reboot for Masters of the Universe.
2: Well, I mean, Star Trek and I go go way way back. Like Star Trek was one of those shows that my dad liked to watch in reruns. You know, mm-hmm. so I always remember the classic show. Um, the Next Generation was the only TV show that I was watching like routinely you know, when it premiered in like 89 and made its, you know, seven, eight year run. And I right. like loved it to death. Even the bad episodes I loved to death. Um, so like Picard was always my captain. And so when, you know, the opportunity came around, when I saw the first season existing, I'm like, I don't believe I'm in a world where we get Picard again. Like how often right, do we right. get to get back in these, in, in these stories? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, and, and it was uh, the, the showrunner who was taking over for the second season, uh, a fellow named Terry Metales. Um We have lots of mutual friends and he was trying to staff up and he was like, he reached out to me. He was like, hey, are you a Star Trek fan? I was like, brother, let me tell you the stories. And uh, and, and so after a couple of months of kind of like negotiations and the, doing the little dance that happens in Hollywood, um, they finally made an offer and I jumped at it because yeah, to get to, to in my dotage, to do the thing that I never got to do when I was a kid, which is right, Interior Starship Enterprise Jean Luc Picard walks on the bridge. Like that's the dream. Like that's the hope that that uh, that one dares not indulge because when the hell is that ever going to come back around? But it did. Right, right. uh, So You got to grab onto that with both hands.
0: Amen, man. And then and now you're you are going to be you're on the staff. You're a writer behind (laughs) the reboot of Masters of the Universe, the He-Man universe. uh, For those who may know it by by its more you know common name. (laughs) Uh, which drops on Netflix this Friday, Masters of the Universe Revelations. Let me ask you, I I don't know about you, Vincent. I knew He Man; it was definitely in my wheelhouse. I was definitely you know a kid and saw you know He Man there. I never really got into He Man. There was something about He Man that just didn't connect to me. I think it was everybody looking like they were built the same way. He's supposed to be right, <laughs> but it was all of a sudden he was Jack like Arnold. Um, like I'm like, yo, this is just something about it. Just didn't didn't connect with me. And plus it seemed a little on the corny side, right? You know, it's all punny and stuff like that. You know. So tell me, is this going to be a return to that? Or is this going to be revelations? It's going to be totally different. It's going to be a totally reimagining of the universe.
2: Um, the 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 way that that Kevin Kevin Smith, who's the showrunner and the sort of creative godfather behind the, the masters of the universe revelation always described it as was like, it's as if we are picking up where the like eighties shows stopped, but also doing it through an adult mindset, which that, is mm-hmm. we're not invalidating anything that came before. We're still playing in the spirit and the tone of what came before, but now there are stakes. Like now there are relationships that are real now, like when information gets dropped, it affects people, you know, wow. when, you know, death is a possibility in a way that it never mm-hmm. was before, mm-hmm. you know. So it still, still has a lot of that kind of like just the, the weird, daffy, childish, dim and vigor to it. But then, like, it goes in some serious places and there's some serious moments. And, uh, and I, too, was not a Human kid. I was a Thundercats kid, you know, right. like that's where mm-hmm. that's I swang. And so when Kevin was like, hey, man, do you want to write a He-Man cartoon? I was like, yeah, all right. You know, (laughs) like, I'm not going to say this is my jack. I know it. I watched it, but it doesn't, I don't live and breathe it. But he's like, that's okay. Like, actually, I'll be that person. You know, our executives at Netflix who have all the toys and have have had them since they were nine are that people. So, like, we just need to be the people who know how story works and who Mm -hmm. knows how drama works. We can bring that to something that never got that love before. All
0: right, all right uh, Sharon Eldridge actually has a question uh, for you she wants to know whether or not uh cringer will be a <laughs>
2: um i don't I don't think this is a spoiler, but I will say yes there there will be some okay. cringer um, and and there's some there's some really fun stuff that happens with cringer and Battlecat this time around so uh so yes if you're a cringer person you're going to get some cringer
0: all right all right very good And George Kimona, <laughs> hearing you say that it's going to be more you know you know what it was before but maybe through it a more uh a mature lens it means that in other words we'll see man at arms smash with the sorceress i don't know if we'll see that
1: george but, <laughs> yeah keep yeah, it classy I, george keep it classy
2: i don't think so either but then again there's still, there's still some, of the, some of the episodes I haven't seen yet. So I don't know if by the time go. we get to episode five, it's like, oh, we're doing this now. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to sell some different kinds of toys. <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> One word, fisto. <laughs> <laughs> Triclops. <laughs> you fail, try, try, try again.
0: Were you a He-Man fan?
1: No, I feel like I was a little old
2: for He-Man
0: yeah yeah me too well that, i shouldn't say that didn't stop me from like in justice league
1: no 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 it, just sort of i was right there on like my brother was more of the transformers gi joe guy mm-hmm. and i was kind of along for the ride mm-hmm. and then he-man was right outside like all of those kind of glorified toy commercial right cartoons which is
0: definitely what he-man was
1: yeah, we're kind of fell out, but you know, I I, I respect the game. Most stuff. I respect the fandom. They've all been rebooted
0: to a point. He Man has been rebooted. Uh, Thundercats has been rebooted. Right. Voltron has been rebooted. Some to you know, and Quiet Cap. Thundercats was been been rebooted twice. The second. Reboot I didn't really like. The first one I actually really enjoyed. Voltron's reboot, I actually love. Transformers, they just won't, they just won't let them die. Um right. I can't even say they've been rebooted. They just never gone away. Is there any piece of your childhood that you would love to see rebooted? I know you. I know you. You're gonna say Johnny Quest.
1: No. See, my problem is the stuff that I like, I don't want them to touch it.
0: Oh, you're one of those guys. You wanted to kind of like it's
1: You know what? I think the Hanna Barbera stuff is pretty perfect. Like like that that sort of Herculoids, Birdman, Space Ghost. Mm. I would say Speed Racer. I don't think Speed Racer ages as well. Like the whole series. I think there are great Speed Racer episodes. Okay. But okay. But as a show, I would be up for a reboot.
0: That's interesting because I feel the exact opposite from from you in regards to the hanna Barbera that that superhero line, like Space Ghost. Space Ghost never got. I never locked on Space Ghost. Space Ghost looks cool. But that yeah. end of the day, if you put him in handcuffs, he's done because he can't get to the buttons on his on his wrist. Right. <sighs> so Space Ghost never did it did anything for me. What I would like to see rebooted, and I think it would be really dope, is the Herculoids. I think the Herculoids could be made just really, really lean into the kind of like fantasy conan of it. And made to be like really, really dope. I like.
1: I think. You know what? I actually, I actually just remembered one. I'd like a real balls to the wall Thundar the Barbarian. I said, like, well, wait a minute, Thundar the Barbarian. That that basically is Conan. No, no, no. But like a like actually go for it because remember Thundar, they destroy the whole planet in the opening credits.
0: Oh, that's true. That's true.
1: Like billions of people die. Right. In the opening credits. Right. And then everyone just sort of pulls themselves out of the wreckage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it's just bananas.
0: Okay. All right. All right. I see you on that. Um, D- Janine in the chat is uh, shouting out the Jetsons. Okay. All right. The Jetsons. Uh, George Kimona is saying Bionic Six. Bionic Six was strangely interesting. Yeah. I, I don't. I I know the 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 song. I couldn't tell the series that if you.
1: I didn't like the fact that they played with you with the Bionic Six. They would never actually say that Bionic One was Steve Austin. Like they would come this close to saying it, but then they'd never actually say it, and that bothered me. Yeah. Like I wanted them to commit that this was an actual sequel to the Six Million Dollar Man.
0: I don't know if it actually was supposed to be though, Vince.
1: Yeah, but they played with your emotions with Bionic One. Okay. All right. I've thought about this much more than I probably should have. Probably. But like the way he dressed, his character design, and every now and then they would make some reference, like he was an astronaut or something. Mm. And I used to like, I was like, just say he's Steve Austin. (laughs) Like, just say it. And they never did. No, they didn't. And that bothered me about Bionic 6. Jeffrey
0: Thomas asked, wasn't there a Johnny Quest
1: remake? There have been a couple. And they've bo- they- they've been terrible.
0: Yeah, I don't remember them being any good. And Damon Williams, your brother, wants to see a Robotech live action.
1: Can't go wrong with Robotech.
0: Yeah, you can't go wrong with Robotech. I- I'm a sucker for Star Blazers myself. But, um...
1: Star Blazers That
0: too may be because of the song Robert Monroe Jr. says Space Ghost was my show When I was a kid my mother would save the toilet paper rolls So I could color them and put them on my forearms How skinny were you? Then he'd tie one of my brother's diapers Oh my god
1: (laughs) I appreciate that that's good parenting. That's
0: not good parenting. Would you need a diaper? There's, there's bathrobe. It's a cape. Dude, I tied a bathrobe around my
1: head. I, I didn't tie a diaper around my head to be a cape. Here's how the thing big, about the diaper. How big is the baby? It's actually short enough. It's actually short enough.
0: What kind of what kind of diaper is big enough to be a cape? Unless you're a diaper
1: man if you're young enough, it's like the little short cape. Because remember, Space Ghost had it was like the short cape.
0: It wasn't that sh-
1: I see it. It wasn't that short.
0: I don't see it. And how skinny were you that you, you got your arm into toilet paper rolls? He didn't even say like paper towel rolls. He said toilet paper rolls.
1: Hey, hey, hey. hey. Let that man have his childhood memories.
0: <laughs> don't, sound, don't sound like memories. Um... We're going to get into our review of the film Inside Man, starring Denzel Washington and Clive Owens and Jodie Foster, directed by Spike Lee. We'll be answering the question of whether or not this is indeed a Spike Lee joint. But before we do that, uh, we have... Our very special guest, Mark Bernardin here, and uh, while also being a writer for Star Trek Picard for Masters of the Universe, he is also, as you heard him say, he's a professional geek, but he is a comic book writer as well. He's got tons of comic book credits to us uh, in his uh, wheelhouse, but right now he's got a very cool new comic book, Adora and the Distance, which is available on Comixology. It's a Comicsology. Original. Uh, the story is a YA fantasy graphic no- novel that follows the adventures of Adora, a brave young woman of color who lives in a fantastical world with underground pirates, ghosts, and a mysterious force called The Distance, which threatens to destroy it all. And this is a new book that actually just hit the market in June. Ladies and gentlemen, so it's out there for you to check out that Mark Bedarden is the writer. He's teamed with a, a uh, an amazing artist, uh, Ariella Christentina, who is the, the artist on this project. And let me tell you, it is a beautiful sight to see. Um, Adora, though, I know Mark is, I don't know if I want to call it your your dream project, but I, but reading in your history, I know that this was something that you have been trying to make happen for quite some time. And I think that is primarily because uh, it is inspired by your relationship with your daughter.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's my, my daughter's now uh, 18 years old and she is on the autism spectrum and she was diagnosed when she was about two, two and a half. Um, My wife, as most wives do, will remember the dates better than I do. Um, But so and when she was diagnosed, it it started me kind of wondering um, because she's not particularly verbal. She doesn't really have that much access to her own emotional state. Um, And so she can never really tell me what she's feeling. She can never really tell me, you know, she she laughs and she cries, but I never know why. Um, And so that leaves me as this sort of fantasy nerd who grew up with sort of Tolkien and Robert E. Howard and, and 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 Three Musketeers to imagine for myself what's going on inside of her head. Mm-hmm. And so that story is ultimately what gave birth to A Door in the Distance. And, you know, I've been wanting to tell this story for a good 15 years now. And it's, and there've been a lot of starts and stops. There have been, you know, publishers who were interested in not. There were editors who, you know, liked parts of it, but didn't, there were collaborators who flamed out, um, it seems as if the world was telling me I needed to wait for these people and this time to do it. Um, and, and, you know, when I started going down the road with Ariella, who I had, I'd, I'd loved her art for a long time. I wanted to try and get her to do an arc of genius, another book that I do for, for Top Cow. Um, but the schedules didn't permit. But when Adora came around, she was like, I'm free. I got a year. Let's go. And the book would not be the book that it is now, if not for her. Um, there's so much that she brought to it that I couldn't even have imagined. There's so many decisions she made that I wouldn't have made the way she made them, that that ultimately just give it so much vibrancy and so much life um, that I that I remain eternally grateful um, that she was the one who said yes, that she felt as deeply about it as I did. Um, because it's she's ultimately what made it special. I thought it was good, but I think she made it great.
1: That's beautiful. That is beautiful. yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. So what's the response been so far?
2: Um, the response has been um, overwhelming in a lovely mm-hmm. kind of way. You know, like it's it, there's always that thing when you make something and you put it out into the world and there and you're you're waiting with you biting your fingernails to see how how the world is going to respond to it. And so far, it's been lovely. You know, the reviews have all been really strong. the 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 response that I get from readers has been has been lovely readers with, you know, people in their families who are on the spectrum, friends who have children who are on the spectrum, and people who have no familiarity with it at all, right. um, who just came to it kind of cold and, and blind and just found, found it worth their time, which is, uh, you know, the first job of any entertainment is to be worth the time it takes to ingest it. Right. You know, and if I, can, if I can check that box of, you don't feel like you wasted 45 minutes reading this book, then I will go home happy. Um, and if, it, right. if, it, if it's cord in you, then I'm thrilled, but I just, I want to earn your money. <laughs> I want to earn the time with your eyeballs and make that worth it. Adora
0: and the distance, ladies and gentlemen, available on Comixology or any place you can get like any type of like a uh, digital comic book. It, it, it's available there as well. It will be available for print and uh, sometime next year via dark horse. Something tells me knowing Mark and all the tendrils that he has out there, he's got some, things in the works for how Adora is going to be coming to you. Say, yeah, I, <laughs> I, see how, I see how you're working. I even read someplace where you know you had you had pictured this as pretty much just like a a one and done because it was like a special project for you. You just wanted to just, like just at least get it out there into the world. And and because of the response that it is that it has garnered, um, you're even thinking about is there a little bit more distance that can be <laughs>
2: <laughs> move this goalpost back? And make <laughs> more right, 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 <laughs> right.
0: So we'll we'll see what that happens. I wish you all the luck with Fedora. It, it looks like a a
2: beautiful, beautiful comic book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. Thank you, man. It's uh, it, it is weird to be at the end of this road, um, given for how long we have been working on it. But mm-hmm. but you know. It's, it's bittersweet, but more sweet than bitter. So I'll take it.
0: We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages.
2: Dalton Russell. Pay strict attention to what I say because I choose my words carefully and I never repeat
0: myself. Recently I planned and set in motion events to execute the perfect bank robbery. Everybody get down on the floor now!
2: Why? Because I can't.
0: Are you the hostage negotiator? That's right, Detective Frazier, this is Detective Mitchell. What do you got? Put on one of
2: these suits and these masks.
0: We got to step back and look at this thing from a distance. Things are not all they appear to be. Back up! Back up! One jumbo jet with full gas tank and pilots at JFK parked in the runway. We give you till 9 p.m. to do this, then we'll kill one hostage every hour. Till I talk to them, they get nothing, not even a cup of coffee. Get those people off your street. Your Honor, you know about this hostage situation.
2: What's it to do with you?
0: Well, I need to be assured that certain interests are protected.
2: Just let everybody stay calm, okay? Don't I sound calm to you?
0: Yes, you do.
2: Look, Detective, there are matters at stake here that are a little bit above your pay grade.
0: Why don't you just tell the mayor to raise my pay grade to the right level and
2: problem solved? If this goes down wrong, they're gonna dump this whole mess in your lap. This brain. Meet me at the front door. You gotta be crazy to go in there, like a fox. Denzel Washington. Whoever heard of bank
1: robbers escaping on a plane with 50 hostages? I think you're stalling. Why, I don't know.
2: Clive Owen. When I said that I planned the perfect bank robbery, I meant precisely that. And Jodie Foster. I can change your entire program, so the sooner that you stop being my problem, the better off you'll be. They heard
1: everything we said. They bugged us. Keep your men back.
2: You planned every
0: inch of this thing right from the start, and you got everybody marching to your beat, including me, and I'm through buying it.
1: What are you doing? Come on, this ain't no bank robbery. Inside Man.
0: Inside Man, the 2006 American heist thriller, directed by Spike Lee, written by Russell Gerrits. It centers on an elaborate. And that, that's elaborate with a capital E. Bank heist on Wall Street over a 24-hour period. The film stars Denzel Washington as Detective Keith Frazier, the NYPD's hostage negotiator, Clive Owen as Dalton Russell, the mastermind who orchestrates the heist, and Jodie Foster as a mystery woman of power and prestige. And this film, Inside Man, was brought to you this week on the mission by our very special guest, Mark Bernardin. Mark, what do you have to say of Inside Man?
2: Um, Inside Man is, it it feels a little on the, I'm not going to say the fringes of Spike Lee's, you know, sort of resume. Um, But it is the one that feels the most like, the most unspike right in a way you know i mean the the beginning of spike's career is very much like i'm i'm an indie filmmaker i have like deep real insane stories i want to tell i want to talk about school days i want to talk about the right thing i want to talk about barbershops and i want to talk about how she's got to have it i want to talk about all this stuff
1: yeah you know
2: and but but inside man was originally supposed to be a ron howard movie like he was the first Mm -hmm. director and and you know he dropped out there was another filmmaker who never engaged and then they went to spike who i think had found the script and he already liked it and so this the spike of it comes in on the edges you know the spike of it comes in casting denzel washington and casting chiwetel mm-hmm. Ejiofor. this is the first time i saw chiwetel in anything you know and and the new york that spike mm-hmm. occupies the filmmaker yep. is very present in this movie you know the the plot is still it's a bank heist it's a thriller um, you know, it's a suspense film, but it's, it's the, it's the fringes, the colors, it's the the lens flares of it that make you feel that it's mm-hmm. spike. You know, it's, it's the way these cops talk. It's the way all of these sort of hostages speak and their specific, you know, ethnic backgrounds and their, their perspective on the police and on, you know, and this is again, post 9-11. And so, you know, you've got, you got a, a Sikh person who's a hostage, who's complaining about how he can never like... You, you stop me at the airport for the random searches, which are never random, you know, like you think, you know, I might have a bomb in my turban. This is a religious thing. Like I'm not Arab. I speak, you know, it's like all of those things in it that, that I can't imagine what the Ron Howard version of this movie would have been, but I don't think it would have pulsed with the same life that this one does. Right. Um, but it also there, there's, it is this weird crossroads in Spike's career where he could have kept doing these kinds of movies. He Mm -hmm. could have kept making big studio like movie star vehicles that feel, you know, propulsive and are thrillers. Like he could have he could have been Tony Scott, right? He could have been the dude making all of Denzel's other movies just like this. Like he could have done Mm -hmm. Man on Fire, he could have done the Equalizer, he could have done, you know, Safe House. Like he could have just that could have been his path if he wanted it to. Because he can do it. Like all of these gifts are, are at his disposal, but it's clearly not a thing he wanted. You know, it's, it's, I, I did it. I know I can do it. Um, you know, doing it with Denzel made it like better than doing it with, you know, I don't know, Pierce Brosnan, you know, but like, cool. This was fun. I'm gonna go off and do this stuff. Now the stuff that I feel like I was called here to do. And uh, so it's, it's, it's just this weird unicorn in Spike's career that I think is just interesting to look at as the, the spike we could have gotten and didn't. And the, the, the sort of that moment in time, where all of these things came together, where and this cast is bananas. Who I can't imagine have yeah. shown up for anybody else. Like I want to do a Spike Lee movie. Says Christopher Plummer. Mm-hmm. Says Jody Foster. <laughs> you know, like oh damn. Okay,
1: I 100 percent agree with everything you said. I always think of Inside Man as that group of films, as part of that group of films, what I call Spike Lee's Second Wind. Mm. And, you know, I kind of grouped 25th Hour in there, Summer of Sam, this. And and as you said, these are films that that don't necessarily feel like the Spike Lee film at the center of it. You, you know, just to add to what you said, it's very much New York, but it's not Brooklyn, <laughs> which is where, you, you know, Spike, you know, sort of Spike's heart. But there is that pulse. There is that life to it. I think this is one of two times he worked with the cinematographer, uh, Matthew Libatique. Libatique, he worked with him on He Hate Me, which is a film with a lot of challenges, but it feels like a Spike Lee film. It feels, you know, very much like that. Much like you, I thought the cast was spectacular. The cast is spectacular. And I love Denzel Washington in Spike Lee films. And there are these wonderful moments mm. where, where that Denzel Washington charm comes out. Always, he, the, the funny thing is, always group this film with something like Training Day. Okay. Because you see, the, you see the charm in the Denzel Washington policeman. Like, you see why he's so good at this job. Uh, we were just talking about Chiwetel Ejiofor a couple of months ago. We uh, watched a film called Z for Zachariah. And, mm-hmm. and much like you, I'm a huge, huge fan of of him. Uh, I don't know which came out first, this or Serenity, but this is certainly a film where I noticed him. It's early. It's early to uh, tell. Right. But even today watching it, I was thinking about all of the crimes I would commit and the things I would do to have a series, a procedural with these two characters. <laughs> just sort of, you know, solving crimes, and and it's it really is just this great little movie. You know, it, it look it they they actually cite those seventies movies in here, like they name check Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon, which is clearly the, the 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 largest inspiration. There's a little bit of the Taking of Pelham One Two Three, but it is it it has that nice grittiness of those great seventies cop films that much like you, I don't know if Ron ha- Ron Howard would have had that grittiness. I will say this. I've seen interviews with Spike Lee after Inside Man. And he said he waited for people to offer him more jobs like this and they didn't really come. So, so while y- y- you have to wonder if you even have the opportunity to keep going that way, I hadn't thought about it until you said just said it just now. But in my mind, now I want to see an equalizer <laughs> directed by Spike Lee. Like I'm hoping the third equalizer somehow they rope Spike Lee in. But yeah, I, I'm I I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of this movie. I'm a fan of this movie.
2: Yeah, and it's 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 also weird that you know watching it again today, there's almost no character arc for Detective Frazier. No, like he's not growing, uh, he learns a thing, but it's not about himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he just, I showed up for one day at work, and this was my day at work. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, and, and the only real character stuff you have is, you know, how he conducts himself. He's got a girlfriend who, like, there's some, there's some, like, weird hypersexuality that's happening in the fringes of this movie. Yeah. Where it's just <laughs> like, you yeah. come home with the twins? I'm like, what? Wow, we're suddenly <laughs> wearing this weird I know. I know. <laughs> Of all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's Fred Williamson walking around. Yeah, I gotta get take my gun off before I get my gun off. Like, oh, all right, Denzel, I didn't know you were this <laughs> dude. But all right, right, right.
0: <laughs> but the but the beautiful thing is that Denzel plays that well. You're right. There's no character arc in here, but watching this movie and 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 I put it out there. This is my first time seeing the film. Like, mm-hmm. I I never saw the film because it always felt like spike lee was just hired to direct it so like just you know just hearing about it and seeing the the makeup of it in the trailer i was like ah, oh, this don't really i don't get the sense that this is really spike i don't think spike would be mad if i don't you know go see it. So, I, so i never went and saw it right but now having watched it you definitely like you said you can sense spike lee in the fringes you can sense his um his inspirations, especially from Dog Day Afternoon, all the way down to the—I I read this—the cop that actually carries the pizza up to the bank is the mm-hmm. guy who brought the pizza in Do- Dog Day Afternoon in the movie Dog oh. Day Afternoon. <laughs> I'm mean, like, like, yo, that is like right on point. Um, but the one thing that I did love about Denzel, while there is no character art, he reminded me of tommy lee jones character from the fugitive the the original fugitive with the, uh, harrison ford he doesn't have a character art either but he pops off the screen so much that they get the sequel it's all about that character it's not even about harrison ford's character and watching this i was like you vince man i want to see some more of denzel washington and she Ejiofor edge of as cops Like, I want to see them, now I want to see them remake, like, Cotton Comes to Harlem, you know, come back Charleston Blue. I want want them to just do every cop film, because Denzel has the gravitas, but, and we've said it, Vince, he very seldom takes the opportunity to do films that show him that he has a funny side, that he can be funny, that he can, he can ha- work his way around a comedy. He can work his way around a sarcastic line. He can be a little bawdy, if you will, like you were talking about, Mark. And a young Chiwetel Ejiofor is just right there, just in lockstep with him, is perfect balance for that. And I found myself just like really digging his movie. Also, I liked really like Jodie Foster in this movie. You can argue that her character maybe doesn't make a lot of sense or she doesn't have a lot to do. She disappears for long stretches of the film. But when she is there, she's got a presence. She's got a a pop. She instantly has the gravitas because it's Jodie Foster. And you know, Jodie Foster ain't no joke. And I like that she is a woman of power, but it's not because of her sexuality. It's all because of just her presence of what she can bring to the role right there. Because like I said, she doesn't have a lot of lines. It's all about how she's playing it, all about how her physicality is getting it across. And I really enjoyed that.
2: There's there's a weird thing, and I, I don't know if, if anybody else out there knows this or seen this, but Heat, Michael Mann's Heat, yes. is a remake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a remake yes. of Michael Mann's own TV movie called L.A. Takedown. And so mm-hmm. you can go online and you can kind of like, Compare and contrast the diner scene between, you know, De Niro and Pacino and then whatever two knucklehead actors they cast for the, the the TV movie. Right. And it's the same dialogue. It's not like he rewrote the scene. Just, I want to do it better. So I'm going to mm. get a better cast. Right. You know, watching what amazing actors can do with the same material compared to, like, journeyman guys on TV is really instructive because looking at Inside Man, lots of these roles are nothing roles. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. Jody Billy Foster's just playing mysterious fixer lady, who could make everything possible. You know, Christopher Plummer's is playing that kind of like nefarious philanthropist who might've done a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Both Chiwetel and Denzel are playing just detectives in the NYPD, but like they take these roles and they make something out of it. They, they create this interior life. They create this dynamic between Chiwetel and, and Denzel. Like, all of these things have life because the actors that got cast bring that life to it because there's not a ton of it on the page. You know, like Clive Owen is great, but you barely see his face. Right. 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 He's almost always behind a mask and his glasses. He's doing a lot of voice work and, but it's still fascinating and captivating. And, and like movies like this, I I, I tend to slot in with like oceans 11, which is, let me look at these good actors having fun and also the competence porn of a heist. You know, like everybody here is smart. Nobody here is stupid. He's got a plan and his plan is going to work. Even when your hero finds ways to muck it up, he's ready for it. You know, that feeling of the crazy smart people ramming at each other at high speed and what's going to break first. And, and I love that. I love watching movies where the plot is, is done incredibly well, where the heist makes sense. You know, even though, you know, not to spoil too much if you've never seen um, Inside Man, but I don't know how Clive Owens, whatever his name is, um, learns about what's inside a safety deposit box that doesn't exist.
1: Right, right. Who first
2: told him that, oh yeah, by the way, this guy, you know, Nazi collaborator. Um, But it almost doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Right. Because the spell has been cast and you're on for the ride. Well, much
1: like Denzel's character, I actually think those three prime... Like, I could have watched a sequel much like the sequel to The Fugitive, where Jodie Foster is fixing things. Mm. Or Clive Owen is planning another elaborate burglary. Mm -hmm. And just speaking to the script and how well sort of calibrated the film is, it's an hour almost Before any of those two get together. Because once Clive Owen and Jodie Foster or Clive Owen and Denzel Washington or Denzel Washington and Jodie Foster get together, it's just electricity. Yeah. So I love how the film kind of keeps them apart until it's time to put two of them together. And then it's, you know, it's go time. I will say about Christopher Plummer, and I had to chuckle when you said it's a spoiler in the history of old vaguely European white guys with the secret <laughs> is it ever not Nazi shit? <laughs> <laughs> like it's always Nazis it's like oh yeah he was a Nazi I have a secret that I'm oh you were a Nazi <laughs> oh. like I kind of wanted it to be something else <laughs> but it's like nah vaguely European dude in your age group you're a Nazi
2: Yeah, or friends with Nazis yeah. Either way, Nazis are involved.
1: Hey, hey, hey. You know the saying, if it's 10 Nazis at a table and you're the 11th person at the table, it's a table with 11 Nazis.
2: <laughs> uh, I have not heard that saying, but I will remember that when I show up at the Nazi table. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then move to another table. It's yes, like, hold on. You're all Nazis. I can't even sit down. Right.
0: Well, here's the thing. He wants to keep it secret, yet he still has the badge. Like, he's like, why have you... Like, that's the first thing that goes into the furnace. He's
1: still got the badge. Right. Right. Because, again, you are a man of a certain age with a vaguely European accent. People are looking at you kind of funky anyway. Right.
2: right. But it's also like, is he just playing the long game where he's like, I'm not sure if the Nazis aren't going to come back. And... He didn't know the world that he'd eventually encounter. Right, it's platform. like 2006.
1: <laughs> it's like 2006. He's still kind of playing the angles. Yeah.
2: If only he held on to like 2018, he could have brought out his right, knife right. and had whatever he well, needed. Well, there you go. There, there you go. He got caught before it came in handy. He got caught
1: before. Who? Did, oh, wow. So now I need a, a sequel to Inside Man to see what he was doing during the election. <laughs>
2: yeah. Like who paid for all that? Who's who's the dude right. he's paying for Facebook to hack the elections? I I think we're writing the sequel. <laughs> I mean, it, it, and I think you guys are completely right in that it feels like a pilot for a TV show.
0: To a degree. Yeah.
2: It, it, it feels as if because I could 100% watch. You know, Detective Frazier and his buddy just solve crimes and negotiate hostages and be detectives or whatever. Mm-hmm. Every now and again, they would bump into, you know, Madeline, whatever, you know, Jodie Foster's character is. You right. know, there's the, the the juice of here's Willem Defoe who shows up for the sweeps week, and here's and all <laughs> that is there if you want it. You know, the big bad is Arthur Case, who's now out for revenge, given right. that, you know, right. Detective Frazier wouldn't let it go. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to spend a season squeezing your nuts, man. Squeezing Big Williams right. the twins just to make sure that you never get any happiness.
0: We're acting like this couldn't be an HBO series. But anyway, what <laughs>
2: the speaking of
0: like what you said about how smart this film is, at least for me, never at no moment, despite how great Denzel Washington is in this film, and despite the level of intelligence that he shows in this film, at no time do I feel that he has in any way an upper hand on Clive Owen's character. And what I appreciated about this film is that that holds true all the way till the end of the movie, without spoiling anything. It holds true the whole way, because almost any other film, there's this moment, whether or not it feels contrived, or just... Well, usually it is contrived, where... This super smart villain or bad guy just makes this one really dumbass mistake, and that, that's all it takes. And this guy doesn't at any time. And I loved appreciating. I loved that the film let him work to the height of his intelligence from the beginning all the way to the end. I yeah. really appreciated
2: that. And and it's, yeah, and it's also absolutely. great that that Denzel is secure enough in his ego to allow for the movie to still be formulated that way,
1: you know, Mm. because there's a hundred
2: percent the version of this movie where Denzel, you know, says, Hey, listen, Spike, you know what I got to do in this third act here? I got to shoot the bad guy. Like he can't get away with it. Like we can't have that be the way this movie ends, but he's like, no, it's better this way. I'm going to still find out who did it. I'm going to find out why he did it, but it's never going to stop the bad guy from doing his thing. I'm Mm. just going to stop the crime.
0: And then it ends with a sweet part, and I'm not going to spoil it, but a sweet little piece of ambiguity that you're not quite sure about exactly what's going to happen as far as the Denzel Washington character. You know, mm-hmm. I got it out.
1: I know what he's going to do. I know what I would do. Let's put it way. <laughs> right. But in a way, it kind of circles back to that that little character beat about this missing money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. connected to his character at the very
2: beginning. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, and, I, and I appreciated how you know because I also for whatever reason is been like a Denzel-a-thon in my house, and so I watched Taking a Pelham One Two Three, which is also about a just New York public servant who is under shadow yeah. suspicion over mm-hmm. taking money that was not supposed to be taken.
1: It's right, like is this yes. what we're doing
2: at Denzel to give him character depth, make him shady. <laughs> All right.
1: That's hey, not- won an Oscar for Training Day.
2: He did indeed. When he shady. Shady's his middle name. Amen. Um,
1: so, Mark,
0: b- before we let you get get out of here, let me ask you: Would you recommend that people watch Inside Man?
2: One hundred percent. Like, if you've never seen Inside Man, it uh, it's 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 oddly propulsive given that there's like two gunshots in the entire movie.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it is
2: not a movie about cops and robbers in in, in the traditional sense. Um, It is a movie that deals with things like race and class in subtle ways that make it, you know, a a worthwhile addition to the Spike Lee canon while not being about race and class. And it's fun. You know, it's fun with great performers working at the top of their game with, you know, full possession of their gifts. And if you've never seen it, I bet you $100 you will not figure out the, the, the way Clive Owen gets away with it at the end. No. And that's that's worth it. That's worth the price of admission. Like yeah. you me a Cracker Jack thriller that I can't see kind. I'll take it. What about you, Vince? Yeah.
1: Oh, you know, you know, I'm 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 absolutely recommending this. I, I, I mentioned it earlier. Although we talk about Spike Lee's first five or six films, mm-hmm. and those are his classic films, and I think they are his classic films. In a lot of ways, this batch of films feels almost like. Like the Prince Symbol album, or or you know the Gold Experience, where you know they're not as good as 1999, but they're good albums. Like wow, this is a really good album, and I, I absolutely think this is a a, a a good showcase for Spike Lee's films just as a director. And and um, I think Mark just mentioned it. I really like this as one of the post 11 films. Because this feels like a brand new York. In fact, another one of Spike Lee's films, 25th Hour, is actually my favorite post 9 11 film in New York. So, yeah, I would absolutely recommend it.
0: I would recommend it as well. Uh, this is my first time seeing it. I can't wait to uh, watch it again in another couple of months after I forget a l- little bits of it. You know, um, I- I'm a sucker for a heist film. So, This was really right up my alley, and I really enjoyed it. Um, Even though it says at the beginning it's a Spike Lee joint, I don't know if I would call it a Spike Lee joint. At least I thought about that until I saw that Terrence Blanchard actually still did work on the, the music of the film. I was like, all right, it's a Spike Lee joint. This is Spike joint, you know, and and like you said, Mark, he 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 puts in his little bits of crunchiness in there that you know you doubt that Ron Howard would have seen those edges or heart, you know to, to bring into the film. And he you know he puts Denzel on a steady and in, in the film, I was like, all right, well, it's, yeah. a, it's a Spike joint, yeah. all right.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like it's not quite a full Spike Lee joint. It's like a Spike Lee two hitter.
0: There you go. I like what you did there. I like what you did there. We're going to let you get out of here, Mark, but real quick, we got a a, a question from Facebook um, for you. Are you excited about your directorial debut this fall? And would you even write or direct an inside man style film yourself?
2: Uh I am excited and nervous, Facebook user. Um, about finally getting behind the lens uh, to direct a short film that I wrote and, and crowdfunded called Splinter um, because I know that there's a bunch that I don't know and that's the part that's exciting. But it's also, I borrowed a lot of money from a lot of people in exchange for things related to a film and so they have to get that. And so the, the, the fiduciary responsibility that I have uh, feels real. To, to an audience. So I'm, I'm excited, I'm nervous, but I'm very much looking forward to it.
0: What's the 30-second pitch? What's the elevator pitch on Splinter?
2: 30-second uh, pitch is um, there's a plane 30,000 feet in the air um, that has only one passenger. Um, the crew and the, and the pilots are all catering to a 10-year-old boy who's by himself on this plane. And the question is, what, why is this child in an airborne prison and what will happen to the world if he gets out? Oh, okay. Before you yeah. said
0: "airborne prison," I thought this was Richie Rich the movie. But okay, this is something- yeah. Now
2: it's not by choice, not by choice. So it's a little bit like Twilight Zone. It's a little bit like The Omen, Demon Seed. Yeah, scene. I was about to say yeah, mm. yeah. So uh, a little supernatural thriller um, set on an airplane. So yeah, I, I aim small. <laughs>
0: we can't wait to check that out can't wait to uh, invite you all ladies and gentlemen to check out everything Mark does but especially Adora and The Distance available now on Comicsology or wherever you get your digital comics and comic books um, you can check out Mark on the Fat Man Beyond podcast it's a, it's a little podcast you know it's not
2: Michelle Mission but you know it's a little <laughs> we all can't be in the show Mission we all got to scroll die
0: <laughs> you know um, but Mark, we really, really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with us and talk some some Black movies. And if you had a good time, you're more than welcome to return, brother. Absolutely. I would love
2: to. This was fun.
0: This past Sunday, Vince and I were proud to take part in the Infinite Diversity in Infinite Combinations podcast festival presented by the Women at Warp podcast. Vince and I held a live panel uh, it was definitely Spock adjacent like it was called Geordie LaForge and the curious case of Leah Brahms. Uh, if It's available if you go to Women at Warp on YouTube, our panel is available there. It's still streaming there. You can check it out and we will actually be making it available on our stream on youtube and podcasts uh next week you know just giving them you know week to get it out there but you can definitely check it out it was a lot of fun it was really really a a good time um yeah it was and also vincent and i recently were on the villains and victims podcast to review charm city king's which is yes. streaming on HBO right now. Check out the Villains and Victims podcast, available wherever you get podcasts, to check out our review of Charm City Kings. So it was that was a good time. That was a really fun time as well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're going to get out of here. But before we tell you what we're going to be reviewing next week, we got a very special show coming your way next week as well. We invite you to email us. Yes, Sharon, you can email us at mission at gmail.com. That's m i c h e a u x m i s s i o n at gmail.com hit us up on our website michellemission.com two men one podcast every black film ever made and check out all of the cool designs we have available for you via the swag link to rt public store we also invite you to like and follow us on all the social medias instagram facebook twitter subscribe at Show mission which is a proud member of the podglomerate thepodglomerate.com we make podcasts work all right next week vince oh boy we are going to be yes, sir. once again live in studio. Vince will be in the Vince chair and we'll have very special guests as we will have the creator and head curator of the venerable Black Star Film Festival, Mayori Holmes will be here live in the building. And she's bringing guests with her as we sit down to
1: review Miss Juneteenth. Yeah, really looking forward to this. I'm glad glad that's on the docket. I meant to watch that when it came out, so I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Me too. Me too. Um, that will be coming your way next week here on the Me Show Mission, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, he's Vincent. I'm Len. And in parting, we say,
1: We'll see you when it's time to meet again.